Hey y'all, welcome to Seducated, the podcast fusing business, culture, faith, and media, giving you real perspective and inspiration to help feed your entrepreneurial soul. Our podcast is dedicated to helping you succeed in your business through empowerment and growth. Come on. And I'm your Seducated host, Sheila Ellis Glasper and the owner of SEG Media Collective. Let's get started. Well, welcome to Seducated in another episode. We are so excited to have our special guest here with us. We have Mr. Benjamin Vaughn. He is the founder and executive director of Impact Ventures. And Impact Ventures is a startup accelerator based in Dallas, Texas. Their mission is to eliminate the social and economic barriers for underrepresented women and entrepreneurs of color by launching high growth businesses and social enterprises. Welcome to the show, Benjamin. Hey, Sheila, glad to be here. Great to be able to connect in in these, uh, these ways, in these times. So thanks for having me. For sure, thanks for being on the show. So our first question to you, Ben, is just, can you tell us about Impact Ventures and what your organization is all about? Yes, uh, we'll try to do this in the in the short time that we have here. But uh, as you mentioned, you know, our mission is to eliminate the social and economic barriers for our underrepresented. We like to say underestimated now um, because we love to talk about our community in a more positive light and, a, and a, I guess from a, a, a standpoint of strength. Um, yeah, so we support that. underestimated entrepreneurs um, and uh, specifically running, working uh, and growing high growth businesses. Um, and really, this is centered around addressing the racial wealth gap uh, in the United States. Um, you know, our our vision and our mission was was birthed out of an idea that um, if you gave people the opportunity and the tools and resources to create and control and, and change their future, um, we would have a better, that's better for the society as a whole. Um, and so we've been working since 2017 to really, we started building a community that didn't exist uh, in Dallas. And so uh, we just recently um, launched our, our first um, fellowship cohort. Uh, where we have 17 entrepreneurs um, or 18 entrepreneurs that we're currently working with uh, in our program. We have uh, both a a growth track and a startup track uh, for different stages of entrepreneurs. um, And they get access to, you know, we like to say coaching, curriculum, capital connection and community uh, through the program. Uh, And this is really about building uh, wealth, not only for the individuals, but for families and and communities um, and being able to do that through the vehicle of, of entrepreneurship. So we're all about that is dope uh just you know we actually have known each other for years and just being able to see the growth of what you've been able to build with impact ventures has just been awesome uh just to see your journey and from you know starting it all the way to where you guys are at now and so that's just amazing can you kind of explain how did you become inspired to start impact ventures yeah so this is, uh, I would like to say this is, you know, we've been working for three years, but this has definitely been um, a, a decade and plus um, vision, probably a lifetime vision uh, for me. I like to start, you know, with, um, you know, my family history being a fifth generation entrepreneur, uh, originally from Wichita, Kansas, um, where I was born and raised. And we met at Washburn University. Um, and, you know, for, uh, for me personally, you know, seeing my father and my grandmother, who um, was one of the first women pastors in the PAW, 
uh, back in that time when when women weren't allowed to lead uh, in churches. Um, and then also was an entrepreneur um, as a seamstress. Uh, her slogan was uh, sewing the souls, sewing souls for the kingdom. Uh, she would make all of our Easter outfits and our Christmas outfits and reversible vests and stuff like that that she would make. Uh, but as the industries changed through industrial revol re uh, revolution, um, you know, things would shift businesses to where minorities couldn't compete. Right. Um, and whether that be through access to capital or just uh, having the tools and resources or the social networks to to be able to compete, you know, at a, at a scale that others are um, just wasn't accessible. Um, and for me, it was really a personal um, journey of, of entrepreneurship being in my blood. And in my family, we kind of go two ways. You either an entrepreneur or a clergy. Right. Okay. And sometimes I feel um, like I'm doing both. Uh, <laughs> I feel like I'm doing the Lord's work uh, most of the time um, as a, a mission driven entrepreneur. And, uh, you know, for me, it didn't start that way. So I, I spent um, a lot of my early career. Uh, and mid-career in uh, finance, um, worked at Fidelity, actually moved um, from Kansas to, to Texas, uh, originally from banking, and just found that there, the, the opportunities for um, growth and the opportunities for um, advancement just weren't you know, there. There was no one that looked like me uh, in senior leadership. So if I couldn't see myself in anyone there, you know, there, there wasn't really a pathway for me to get there. That's what I saw. And working in different industries. So from finance, I went um, to uh, fundraising, working for a national land trust organization, uh, ran an organization for two and a half years um, uh, in Dallas that focused on retaining African-American talent. Uh, it's called Dallas Black Professional Social Network. Uh, that's kind of where I got a lot of the bumps and bruises and scrapes on how to run a business and how to build coalitions and how to build partnerships. Uh, and, and that really afforded me an opportunity to really see Dallas from just like this 30,000 foot up uh, view and afforded me at a very young age to be kind of at the nexus of a lot of decisions that were being made in the city, um, a lot of movements that are being started off in the city. But what I saw is that no one was focusing on the wealth gap, particularly with um, developing minority entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. um, and when you think about um, the just the change in society when you when you say technology, and I know sometimes for our community, technology can be this scary word, uh, but technology could just literally mean a different way that we do things. Technology is not always about electricity or something being plugged in or a computer or something digital. Um, technology is really about the means and how you do something, like how you deliver something. And so, when you talk about access to um, to building wealth, uh, the the barrier to entry is a lot lower due to the cost, right? Um, right? When we had computers in a in a big room where we needed you needed a whole office space for one computer, that cost a lot of money. So we couldn't compete. Now we can launch a business from our cell phone, from our fingertips, right? right? And so now there's no excuses to not do it. However, doing it is not enough, right? There has to be an ecosystem for that business, for that person to to thrive. And that's where we started was building that ecosystem, connecting that ecosystem, making sure that you know, as they say, it takes a family to raise a child. It takes a community to raise a startup, right? Yes. Um, and you can have a great idea all day, but if the environment is not is not built to support that idea, it'll never thrive, right? That's why you see places like Silicon Valley, they thrive because they have a great education department. I mean, the smartest people in the world are coming out of these colleges and universities, um, and they're, they're getting fast-tracked into these companies. And other ecosystems that aren't as developed, 
um, it just looks different. You know, Texas won't be a, a Silicon Valley or, um, you know, other places in the Midwest won't be. As, and that's fine. Right. And so me as a I actually call myself as a as a social entrepreneur, um, I don't believe that the traditional venture model works for black and brown communities. Um, you know, that's that's not our goal. We've always been a uh, ecocentric um, people. We've always been focused on the community. It's always been we versus me. We've always cared for our elderly, for our young. We've always held on to our stories. We've always kept traditions, right? And so business and cooperative economics, that can be carried out um, in business, not just in traditional business, but in, in, in high growth business as well. Uh, I'll give an example of Don Dickinson, founder of uh, Popcon. She could have went out and raised a million dollars on her own, but what she did was she opened up a uh, equity crowdfunding um, opportunity to get other black and brown folks and women to invest in her business to participate in wealth building activity. And oftentimes we don't there we don't get the opportunities to participate in wealth building opportunities. And so um, right now as an organization, as we're focusing on training and developing entrepreneurs, right now, um, just recently accepted into the Boston Impact Initiative is building this fund um, to be able to invest not only in them, but then allow any individual who is a non-accredited investor to be able to also invest in that fund to participate in wealth building opportunities because it's about the collective uh, versus this capitalism mindset. So yes, that's where we got uh, on uh, how I got here. And uh, it's been a, a fun, bumpy, exciting, scary, like that's entrepreneurship, the roller coaster. You understand as an entrepreneur, you know, yes. you, you, you've been through it, um, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade it for anything and, and we're exactly where we need to be. And I think um, just to go into the COVID-19, cause I know we'll talk about that, but yeah. um, it's shed a light on our work that's proven. It's, it's highlighted why our work is even more critical to support underrepresented entrepreneurs because the access to wealth is such a critical thing. Um, yes. 22 million people are unemployed or filing for unemployment right now. Um, if they don't have um, a mortgage that they can take out a second lien on or a second mortgage on to, you know, to, you know, to make ends meet, if they don't have a 401k that they can borrow against um, to kind of float them up, you know, if they don't have a, a rich uncle Ned, you know, to, to yeah. hold them over or, you know, a lot of times we don't have things like that. And the so, tools, right? Right. So it's, it's crucial that we don't just focus on income, but we focus on like assets uh, as well. Yeah, that is definitely, um, you know, great advice. And I just love, you know, what you guys are doing there in Dallas and beyond yes. with just building that ecosystem for, and I love that term, um, not underrepresented, underestimated, underestimated entrepreneurs. I love that. I love that. Um, yeah, so that kind of brings us to our next topic here. Um, right now, you know, we are at the end of April and we are in a worldwide pandemic when it comes to uh, COVID-19 and the coronavirus. It is affecting everyone all over the world right now. And when it comes to our underestimated entrepreneurs and business owners and um, in our country, uh, COVID-19 has definitely been impacting the business world, economics, um, and, you know, some of our most vulnerable uh, entrepreneurs. And so when I did a little bit of research and kind of looking into the numbers, because the numbers are still, I mean, they're happening right before our eyes and the stats are coming out right before our eyes. But we do know that the two types of Black-owned businesses, the top two types of Black-owned businesses 
are um, in the service and the health industries, which are two very high touch industries. Mm -hmm. And so when you think about high touch with the coronavirus, they are high risk industries. Um, And then furthermore, we have 2.6 million Black-owned businesses in the United States, and 2.5 million of those Black-owned businesses have no employees. So that creates a little bit of an issue because the funding, uh, emergency funding that has become available for businesses through the government, actually the loans are tied to forgiveness uh, with uh, paying your employees and having payroll. Time employees and having payroll. Um, So that becomes an issue if you don't have those employees. And so um, from your perspective and what you do on a daily basis, um, what have you seen how COVID-19 has been impacting our underestimated uh, entrepreneurs and minority businesses so far? Well, you've definitely pointed to some very poignant stats around, you know, just how 99, almost 98 percent of our businesses are sole proprietorships in terms of not having employees and not being able to qualify, you know, for those funds. Um, When you think about even just a traditional sense without COVID-19, you know, minority-owned businesses are denied two to three times more um, loans uh, for loans um, than their, 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 their white counterparts. You know, when we talk about equity, we know that less than 2% of private investment in venture capital goes to minorities and less than 1% of that goes to women, less than 0.006 of that goes to black women, right? So across the capital landscape, there's a huge, you know, gap. And so when our government doesn't prioritize, because our government is, 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 is built and is here for the infrastructure of communities, right, and of people. Right and and typically of its most vulnerable um, individuals should be considered as frontline employees or a frontline you know or, or, fir- or first responders right, right. Um, and typically when we think about first responders we only think about those who are um, you know uh, doing you know uh, homeless shelters and medical um, folks and firefighters and mm-hmm. small business owners specifically the ones that are in the service based industry they are frontline they are first they are first uh, responding, you know, to to the need of the individuals, Um, you know, the grocery stores, the, you know, the mom and pop grocery stores in communities um, where there are no major grocery stores, right. Uh, Where they do their grocery shopping at, you know, the, the 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 gas station, the corner store, (laughs) right. Like that's reality for some folks. Um, You know, even the communities that I live in, you know, in in Dallas, I see it all the time. Um, And, I think the biggest impact that we've seen from this COVID-19 is that it definitely shows where our values align as a nation, right? That's kind of like the macro view it in terms of, you know, we're prioritizing corporate bailout over, you know, like community lives, you know, the lives of our citizens. And that's not, that's not right, but I do understand the burden of leadership and the decisions that have to be made. But I think overall, the program could have been rolled out a little bit better and more efficient, but it's a, that's a big undertaking for the program. So for minorities, uh, you know, typically underrepresented, uh, underestimated business owners, I think not having um, a strong relationship with your bankers or your lenders um, really put us at a disadvantage. Um, and I, I think that's just from due to uh, lack of knowledge and, and no one there to tell us that we need to, email our banker or keep in regular contact or touch uh, Mm -hmm. with the folks who are handling our money. 
um, the fact lack that we of trust, right, lack of trust right. sometimes too, because, um, you know, even for myself, you know, as soon as I started seeing this information, of course, I call my bank. Right. Well, I had went through this very long process over a year ago to get an SBA loan. So I already had built those relationships. relationships and so yeah. when I came, but it took months and months to, for me to build that relationship with the bank that took a little while, but we built it. And so when I came back, they understood, you know, all about my business. And of course they've already invested, you know, and so they want to make sure that we're okay and we're, we're doing okay during this time and we get as yeah. much help as we need. But that did come up about, you know, how our business is structured, how, you know, I have several part-time employees, how I have fewer full-time employees and, you know, how I take an owner's draw for myself and I'm not even on my own payroll. So when right. it came to being able to get these funds, all of these problems came up to where I was like, well, you know, if I would have known I this, known, right. <laughs> you know, and who, who could prepare for something like this? But right. to be honest, when you're coming from an environment and uh, where your family and people that you are the closest to growing up and, you know, coming up in this world that we're not business owners, these things are not talked about, right. you know, so you're learning no, we as trust you go. banks, you know, we, we, right. we keep our money in a, in a safe or mattress, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> some people do that. Because they mm-hmm. don't trust banks. They're like, I'm not putting my, you know, big mom. Or we don't want to get, we bank. don't even want to get into a loan situation with the bank either. Because well, I don't want to take on debt because yes. someone has convinced them that a loan is a bad thing, right? <laughs> yeah, and I had to get out of that mind state myself. I was trying to do everything within, you know, the means of what we could afford within the business. What revenue was coming in, that's what I had to right. invest back no, into the business and to it's all about leverage business. right but right. we're not we're not taught leverage right you leverage debt you leverage equity um you leverage cash you know right you know opm other people's money is the best thing to use when you're starting a business when you're doing anything but those are things that we're not we're not taught generationally and, and so it's scary I think, it's yeah. scary if you don't know and if you don't get the right information and if you don't have people that you can trust like you were saying in an ecosystem you yeah. know in a community of people that you can trust and trust that that information is going to be for the good yeah. of you and your family and your business. One of one of the other major things I think that I feel like is a is a is an issue that we're not maybe we're just looking at it through the wrong lens. But because there is there's ninety eight percent of minority businesses that are um, sole proprietorships, meaning that they own a job, right? Right. So that that's two point five million jobs, right? And so if we're if we're talking about workforce and we're talking about keeping people employed, they should be included in that situation of, okay, this is workforce. Right. Because those 1099 employees, they have to pay taxes. Right. So um, it's we have to look at things and we have to challenge our leadership from a, a government city, et cetera, standpoint, the advocates, the people that are that are speaking for us in these rooms to really consider all the options in, in the ways that we, we might be overlooking certain things like, Oh, because you have 1099, that means they're not, you know, valuable. Right. Um, not everybody that's a 1099 employee makes $8 an hour. Right. Right. People like people put food on their family's table by being a 1099. That's just maybe the way they prefer. Maybe they prefer their own schedule, you know, maybe they prefer doing the work that they, they do in the way they know how to do it. Like there's, a ton of reasons why someone would be a 1099 employee over, you know, an FTE, a W-2 employee. 
and we shouldn't penalize them, you know, for, for, for doing so. But this is a workforce issue, you know, um, and we should be considering that 2.5 to say, how do we improve the black workforce? Because we know that the majority of the black workforce is going to be 1099 um, folks mm-hmm. um, that are running these, these businesses. And so, oh, yeah. but and I think it some impacts local, their families, you know right, what I'm saying? So that, that 2.5, you know, triples and quadruples when it comes to the number of people that are being, you know, then impacted, impacted. by it. Mm-hmm. Right, right. So, you know, that's just, it's just great to be able to talk to somebody who has the unique and diverse experience that you have to be able to speak on this topic because it is something that's happening right, you know, before our eyes. The next topic, you know, we'll dive into is just looking at the digital the digital realm of everything that's going on right now. We are a social media marketing agency and um, being the owner of SEG Media, I'm able to really see how digital marketers and uh, tech businesses are really in high demand right now. Mm-hmm. You know, people ask me, you know, how are you guys holding up right now? I'm like, we're busier than we've ever been because <laughs> all of our clients really, really need us like right now. And, you know, things are changing right before our eyes and they have to stay connected to their audience. They have to grow their audience. They have to try to keep this revenue coming in. And so now when everything is kind of heightened to where businesses are like, we have to communicate everything everybody's being bombarded with right. advertisements so many and messages now. I'm like right now y'all want to communicate you know what <laughs> right. I'm saying so now the value <laughs> now you see me <laughs> right right now the value of digital marketing you know has just really been put at the forefront um, for a lot of these more uh, brick and mortar uh, traditional types oh, of yeah. businesses uh, they're really seeing the importance of the digital marketing and we know that with impact ventures you guys focus on high impact startups in the tech field and we just want to know what is your advice when it comes to aspiring entrepreneurs that are looking to start up a business in the tech industry right now or maybe even businesses that are already established who are thinking about pivoting you know more into Mm -hmm. the tech field yeah so i i I like I, i talked about it a little bit around the word technology and you you have to first break down this you have to demystify what what being a tech business is right Um, A business is solving a human need, right? There's a human out there on the other end that's receiving your product or service um, that has a pain point and you are solving that pain point in an economically efficient way, right? That's what a business is. How you do that is where the technology comes in, right? And so um, I encourage those who are looking to get into the tech industry is, and this COVID-19 has exposed this situation is that understanding that technology is not the solution, but it's the means, right? Right. And so you first have to solve a problem that's worth solving, right? And that people will pay for you to solve that problem. Um, For example, there's a lot of niche businesses out there, especially in the technology industry. Uh, There's these social apps, these gimmick things, these, um, you know, things out there that aren't necessarily necessity. And then situations like COVID-19 really kind of put things in perspective to say like, essential businesses are, will always be in play, right? There'll always be a market for essential businesses. So is your business essential in terms of, are you solving a real human problem and human need? And starting there, um, then you can go and build and spend all the money you can to, to develop a business. But um, we like to say when Impact Ventures is designed with community in mind. And so we use a lot of design thinking frameworks, which is basically a creative um, 
problem solving process. Um, it's not some magical thing when people talk about design thinking. It's literally just taking how people naturally think creatively and putting that into a framework and then putting a creative spin on it that allows you to do it in a way that's non-traditional. For example, it could be um, uh, you could do with sticky notes, right? Um, for example, people use, let's say product development, you're developing a product and you go out and you buy this high-end software so you can develop your product roadmap and you can, you can literally go in your bathroom or in an office or a room in your house, your living room, get sticky notes, and you can literally put those on your, on your wall. And then that's your project management for your product development. Like, it's not always this, like, I got to do this high tech thing so my advice you know would be like first solve a human problem and understand that problem um and by understanding that problem which you highlight a little bit about this need for digital marketing and for this digital aspect is that you should always be talking to your clients right you should always be talking to your users and getting feedback on what on what they need because their needs are going to change right the, the problem that you're trying to solve is 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 always going to be there Right. That's why you're in business. But how you solve that problem will always change. But oftentimes business owners get stagnant and they get um, they get hung up on on their one solution that they feel like is the right fit for that problem. Um, and when technology changed, when when uh, externalities hits. change, like a pandemic, <laughs> they're like, oh, shoot, I probably should have. And, and, and this puts us at a disadvantage, like going back to the equity part. This puts us at a disadvantage for mom and pop restaurants who. You know, uh, the family's been operating it for 30 years. Um, they don't even have, they're not on Google. You can't find them on Google Maps. Um, they don't have a website. They don't have an uh, email list. They don't have an email list. They haven't thought about online ordering right. <laughs> or, you know, any kind of thing like that because people have always been able to, you know, yep. do it the old way, mm -hmm. you know? <laughs> so it, it's not it's not always building the the latest blockchain blockchain technology platform. You know, sometimes it's um uh you know uh, Jimmy's catfish um saying, you know what, we just launched our our online page. You know, <laughs> we can right. we can serve our community digitally now. You know, now we're taking um, online orders. You know, uh, just yes. little tweaks like that where technology can be implemented um, and being more, we like to say tech enabled business uh, versus tech um, driven business. Um, and there's a distinct difference between the two, but understanding which one you are um, and then knowing that, understand how you can actually, what your roadmap looks like in the future. Like, should you be raising venture capital? Should you be raising debt capital? Um, that all determines, you know, the approach you take. So. In this age, every business is a tech company, right? right. Yeah. <laughs> every business that. is a tech company or has tech. And if you don't, yeah. I'm sorry, but you're going to, you know, you're you going to miss it. out. You need it. And I mean, we even with our own clients, I mean, we serve a lot of local, um, locally owned small businesses. And um, we have a, a client that's a barber college in Topeka. And, you know, when all of this happened, it changed the whole structure of how they do business because it's like, well, their business is educating, you know, the next generation, the future of barbers in uh, barbering. And so they had to take all their classes online. 
and be able to offer those classes online so those students can still continue to learn in their own home without having to go into the facility. And how do you do that when you're used to being able to show them in person? How can I even do this? You know, we were able to be there, you know, because we had started working with them months prior and to be able to help them with that transition. You know what I'm saying? And so just in so many instances, you're so right. Like, being able to have the tech integrated into your business, like every business has to have mm-hmm. tech uh, integrated into their business or they're not going to be in business for very long, you know, mm-hmm. because everything, you know, with the social distancing and everything that's going on, it's not the future. It's like the now it's like something that is vital, you know, for your business right now. And so we um, have to emphasize it. I mean, the old school, um, like how you, how you, um, how you how you would philosophize, I guess, uh, every business and the elements they need to have in terms of focus. Like you have people, um, you have purpose, you have your processes, right? You have your platform or you have your product. But technology is another element that like you have to invest in. Like it's 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 no longer just you start your business and then now you have like okay, my telephone, my you know how it used to be, where it's like. <laughs> When you talk about when you talk about IT, it was like, all right, our IT services, we have our telecommunications, we have our fax, you know, we have our email address, we have internet. <laughs> like, you know, and then from a marketing standpoint, it was okay, we got we got print, we got newspaper, we got, you know, now it's like technology is it's 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 transforming across all those things in terms of like the people part, how you communicate as a team, right? Yeah. All these companies have their own internet. They have their own, you know, things like Slack, things like, you know, Microsoft yeah. for Teams that people are using. I mean, technology hits all those different elements, you know, processes, you yes. know, now instead of us having to meet in a, in a room physically, now we can use um, Microsoft Planner or Asana as a project yes. management tool to keep us all you know, moving yes. forward. So technology should be integrated in every part of your business. And I think that should be every entrepreneur's kind of like a, a, a inventory assessment of their own business. Like while we're in this pandemic is saying like, how am, how am I supporting, how is technology supporting my business in every aspect of my yes. company? Right. Yes. And if it's not, I need to invest in that. For sure, for sure. That is so vital right now. And so we're kind of talking about pivoting um, into those areas. And you're talking about taking an inventory of how tech is working in your business, working for your business. And so when it comes to pivoting, um, you know, I think that that's kind of been a buzz a buzzword right now in um, with businesses right now it's pivoting your business or figuring out you know how you can still you know keep your business running during uh, this COVID-19 pandemic we're in and so you were talking about just can you elaborate a little bit more on some of the changes that businesses should be considering right now um, to be able to survive and and or just pivot to be in a better position I think first, you know, when we talk about pivoting or changing something, I think you first have to know what you're good at and kind of know what your core services are, your core product um, is. And once you know that, then I think you can add features, right? And so I think that's what what companies should be thinking about. Small business owners should be thinking about what features can I add? Because this is a, this is a, a freak, you know, um, 
you know, th- the last time yeah, this you happened. You never think that something like <laughs> this is not in anyone's business. It's not part. a norm, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> so these things should be considered as features and options in secondary markets and new channels, you know, that you should be selling through. Or maybe there's an untapped market that you didn't have before that now this digital piece allows you to tap into that market. Um, but I don't think business owners should be 100%, 180 flipping their business model and say, oh, now we're pivoting to this, right? Because then yeah. you get away from your core and what your services are and what you do. And then you lose your, your customers are like, wait a minute, wait, we're still here. You know, we just yeah. need to be served in a different way, yeah. right? So um, I think at the core of it, it's really understanding, A, what you're good at and what your company is great at. You know, the book Good to Great talks about your hedge, hedge call concept, um, what you're good at, uh, or what you're great at, what the world needs, what you love to do and what the world will pay for. Right. Mm-hmm. And all those intersections of that's what you do in the middle. Figure out what are the unique um, features you can add to that to do the same thing, but just deliver it in a different way. Yeah, so yeah. it's not necessarily transforming the business, you know, upside down, but more so thinking like, how can I do this in the same way? So if I teach classes in person or if I work, if I'm a service based industry, I'm a financial advisor. How can I still give the same quality service to my clients in a different way? Maybe it's digitally. Maybe it's FaceTime. You want to create that, you know, maybe first time is more personal than Zoom. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and their clients really want that personal, you know, touch. Um, my phone is much more personal than my, I can't carry my laptop around in my pocket. So, right. you know, just thinking different around uh, how do you continue to deliver the same service in a different way? Um, so. Oh yeah. And it, it's, it's useful in all different industries. I mean, I have just been sitting back and watching so many different businesses that I've been following and brands that I've been following, you know, for years and years and just seeing how they're reacting during this time and what they're changing. And I've been really impressed by a local salon here that's doing uh, virtual consultations and they're marketing oh, to women and yeah. saying, hey, we know y'all still have to be on Zoom, you know, for work and everything. And so we know we can't actually do it for you, but we can do a consultation. We can even help you do some of these things we'll do eyebrow consultations like all these things that you know it's still important to us women you know and it's like to be able to offer that in a virtual sense and for them to be able to still serve their clients I mean that is a perfect example and there's so many examples across the board of so many different industries and different types of businesses that are you know like you said definitely not a time to just flip your business right. all the I way I see so many people know? doing that they're like and then they're, they're not only are they doing it, but they're spending resources oh, into yeah. doing that. You know, yeah. it's yeah. like, that's not your sweet spot. Let another company figure that out. You know, yes. just continue yes. to serve your clients in a, in a way that reaches them that reflects the times that we're in. Yes. But. And integrating the tech piece. So, <laughs> yes, I love that. And so one of the stats that you have on your website, which tell, tell everybody how they can find you guys on social media and on your website so that they can check you guys out. Definitely. So um, we are on all social media. Uh, that's Facebook. Well, all social media. There's a ton of platforms out there. But the main platforms, <laughs> we are on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, uh, and LinkedIn uh, and Medium. Uh, but we, you could find us at uh, Impact Venture Co. Um, on social media. Um, and then you can also find us um, um, on the web at impact-ventures.co. And it's .co, not .com um, for our website. Um, but yeah, connected with us there. Uh, we're mainly, we're probably more active on Instagram. So if you're Instagram out, out there, 
Um, follow us on, on social media, engage uh, with us there. Uh, we'll be doing our demo day soon, actually May 30th. Uh, we're gonna be launching that um, announcement on this Friday, actually tomorrow. Um, okay. So you all will be able to tune in live to see some of our founders uh, pitch uh, their yes. startups, so. That's awesome. And when you say um, that you guys are serving Dallas or North Texas and beyond, um, kind of just tell us what, what is the beyond part? How does, how yeah. does that work? So when we, so our first cohort, we had a 164 applicants, um, 40, I'm sorry, a hundred and sorry, the numbers just escaped me now. Um, I want to say 97 of those businesses uh, were from North Texas. I think 143 were from uh, Texas. And I think the remaining 30 or 40 were from like around the country as well as um, uh, international. And so this COVID-19 situation has kind of expedited our vision that we kind of already had was for us to be kind of like a national, you know, have a national presence. Um, but this COVID-19 situation has really given us the opportunity to say, you know what, if we continue or if we, if we serve our clients in a different way, not completely go, we're not going to start making cheeseburgers now, you know, because people <laughs> are hungry. We're still serving entrepreneurs because they need the support, guidance, mentorship, access to capital that they need. But we can do that in a different way that allows us to source entrepreneurs, high impact entrepreneurs um, from across anywhere, uh, whether it be across U.S. base um, or international base. And so our vision has always been to um, be Dallas based, but globally focused. Um, and so this is just about that, you know, setting that vision and then just moving towards that vision as you as you progress. Um, in, our pro in our program, currently, we have a company from San Antonio. Uh, in the program, then we have another one from Colorado currently in the program. Um, so we're always we're already kind of prototyping that and what that looks like um, for them. Because the thing about high growth businesses that I think a lot of if entrepreneurs are watching this, um, if you're wanting to get into the high growth business industry, and that doesn't have to be tech, it can be consumer products. So we focus on consumer products as well. But if you're in that industry, your customer is anywhere. So you have to get out of the mindset that if I'm in Dallas, I'm just serving Dallas or I'm just serving North Texas, right? So in order to attack a market of that size, right? Because in the high growth, it's about market share, right? In order to attack a market that size, you have to have other channels and other markets that you're dipping into, right? So you have to have relationships in New York. You have to have relationships in LA if that's where your business um, is going to thrive, right? You can be Dallas-based because it's cost-efficient, right? Um, you can get more bang for your buck here. Um, if you raise venture capital other places, you can spend that less. You can spend that more efficiently by being based in Dallas. Uh, but a part of that, like relationships, is that you need those other relationships to be able to get that market. Like if you're, if you're doing a black woman's hair care product, right. In order to be a considered a high growth businesses and, and be worthy of, of venture capital, you're going to need to be selling in Atlanta and Baltimore. Like you need to know where all the hot spots where there's heavily populated by black women, like right. if that's your clientele. Right, right? right. So that means in your mind frame, you should be thinking of like, okay, who do I know? Or who can I find on LinkedIn to get me into that market, in that market? 
And so I think it's kind of removing these barriers of like state lines or mm-hmm. these barriers that my customer is only the person in front of me. And technology is the driver. Yes, yes, <laughs> to, yes. To do that, you know. <laughs> um, one of the things that's special about this second phase of our work with the Boston Impact Initiative is that, you know, they brought um, this fellowship brought 26 leaders from across the country from 12 different cities, major cities. Um, and we're all have the same goal in mind to build this kind of like racial equity focused um, investment fund. Um, those are 12 markets that we'll have access to now for our entrepreneurs to say, all right, you're looking to get into Philly, Atlanta, Baltimore, New York. You know, we have relationships there for our program to be able to get people into access to other um, mentors and other investors that are in those cities, you know, other distribution channels. They're trying to get into Whole Foods. You're trying to get into Sally's, you know, to Paul Mitchell, you know, like all those, the things that we need to be considering. But if we're only thinking in terms of like, let me serve my local neighborhood, you know, the high growth, that part will never happen. And and there's a need for both high growth and kind of lifestyle businesses Mm -hmm. in the market. They both are equally important. Yeah, that's really good. That's really good. So definitely to anyone listening and and watching right now, um, you know, Impact Ventures, if you're an aspiring entrepreneur with a startup idea, or you already have a business, you could definitely should check them out and see what type of opportunities there are um, for you to work together with venture, uh, Impact Ventures. And so um, the last question that I had for you is just um, on your website, a stat that really stuck out to me. And of course, because it is me that white men actually raise 36 times more in venture capital than black women. And so with your expertise and and what you do on a day to day, um, what would you say are the essentials for us uh, underrepresented or underestimated business owners to successfully securing the bag when it comes to venture capital and funding? Well, I I think it first starts with, you know, um, (laughs) now I'm going to the the clergy side, the preacher side of it is, you know, study to show thyself approved, right? Yeah. So first knowing the game that you're playing is important. You know, if, if you don't know the rules of the game, you've already lost. Right. And so a lot of times we, we, we don't want to, we don't want to study the rules of the game. Um, I'm guilty. We're all guilty. How many times yeah. have we sat down? I mean, to this day, I don't know how to play Uno because I don't want to <laughs> read the rules. Right. <laughs> yes. I will sit down and play Monopoly and with the family. We will. I don't think anyone in my family. That is a that is a family tradition of ours. I don't think anybody in my family has ever have has ever actually read the rules of Monopoly. <laughs> it's yeah. just a human habit. I mean, I don't know what it is, but we 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 don't want to study. So, but but understanding the game of venture capital is essential because once you understand the rules of the game, then you know what the levers are, right? And the levers are pull, and you know what's needed, and you know what it looks for. So venture capital is a very different industry when it's focusing on it's, it's focused on speed to market and growth, right? Like those are essential in that market. The challenge is doing that in a way that's equitable to a founder to where they don't end up on the short side of the stick in ownership of their company, right? Because the venture and the equity capital is all about ownership of the company. And so studying, you know, understanding the landscape, reading books, getting mentors, like understanding the whole landscape, the terminology, um, all those things are, are essential to just being able to come to the table. Like just, that's just getting to zero, right? Right, right. <laughs> um, then when you get to, 
to, to zero, it's about understanding what are the things that's needed in venture capital, which is very different than private equity, which is very different than your lifestyle business with debt. You know, so when you think about like, let's look at the size of companies. So um, I'm a finance guy. So think about like uh, your Fortune 100, Fortune 50 company, these big companies, um, their financials are probably going to have like, so when I was at Fidelity, we did, we would do, I would do monthly reporting, like 150 page, like monthly PowerPoints on financials, right? So that's like at the highest level of like rigor that's needed. Um, If you, you you could probably equate that to like private equity in in finance in terms of the complexity of finance. When you go to uh, lower middle market companies, like, you know, two to five million, maybe you need five to 10 years of financial or maybe even 15 to 20 years of financial. Right. And then you go back, you go down to small business, which technically the definition of small business is like 1 million. Right, right, right. Really under 500 (laughs) employees, but at a million dollars of revenue, you're still considered a small business. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And then you got micro enterprise, which is like 50 employees um, or less, which is the category that we kind of dwell in that micro enterprise and understanding that, and venture, it's more about execution than it is around like projections and planning and things like that. So from an investor standpoint, if you're looking to raise venture capital, you need to operationalize that financial ask. And what I mean by that is like, if you're raising $500,000, I need to see a plan of action that ties along with what you're going to do to get that market share and actually ex- ex- expedite growth at the same rate that you're spending money. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. That's very different than if you got, say, I go get a, a $500,000 loan uh, right. from a company. I mean, I could take my time as long as I'm paying my monthly payment. I could take my time. Right. And so in, in the venture world, you know, it's about speed to market um, and, and the size of the market to share that you're getting. But you have to understand, like, it's about execution. Right. And so what goes into execution? Like, you have to have a great team. You have to grab a, you have to have a, well, first you have to have a great idea and a problem worth solving, right? And a problem that's big enough, right? From a, a B standpoint, like a billion dollar industry, knowing that you might only get 0.5% of that share of that market, right? Uh, but that's still great, right? If, you know, Jeff Bezos owns 12% of his company, but would you rather have 12% of a hundred, you know, billion or whatever Amazon right. is worth? I don't right. know. Would you rather have 12% of that or 12% of nothing? You know what I mean? So, right. um, and so understanding ownership, really understanding the value of ownership and how ownership works. Um, and then being legally, like having all the, 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 the dots checked in terms of your legal structure. Because a lot of times people don't understand the, the legal side of raising venture capital is that you have to actually file like with the SEC to even say you're going to raise like a price round of, of venture capital. And that comes with just knowing the industry, right? But if you don't have a lawyer, right? Or if you don't have capital to file, you can't, you can't do that anyway. Like, I mean, even right. doing equity crowdfunding, you have to file like Form D with the, you know, like you have to do these necessary things. But if you're not incorporated, you're still a sole proprietor or just a Facebook page and you don't have any legal structure. No investor is going to, going to be able to invest their money in your business whether it be angel or or institution or or whatever so um those are the things that like i feel like we can do um that we can control right um on our end in terms of actively raising capital 
but then also understanding that every investor is not your investor. So understanding like what type of investor do I need? What's their risk tolerance? Um, what's their personality? Are they an investor that's going to be calling me every week saying, did you do this? Did you do this? Did you do right. that? Right. Um, are they consistent? You know, are they someone who sometimes get caught in the details? You know, if you have an investor that's saying you need to revamp your whole website and your branding looks off, that's probably not the best investor that that you need. Like that's not their job to to do that. They're looking at mm -hmm. high level strategic, you know, um, compliance, like making sure that financial management is in order. They're not digging into the weeds of. I mean, they might do that if they have that as a background and, and as a as a add a value add. Um, but that's why you get consultants and, and team and build team members and hire employees, mm -hmm. um, to do those things. But, uh, so that's, I think what we can do in terms of, um, approaching raising capital, but then there's also an ecosystem problem challenge that, uh, what's called pattern recognition has been, um, heavily influenced in the venture capital industry. Um, and there are certain triggers that typically um, will give investors typically the the prediction of success for a founder, right? And and we know what those triggers are: like white, male, heterosexual, um, went to Ivy League school, right, or any school in you know in the Palta, you know, in California. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah, and a lot of us, a lot of us, um, you know, underestimated entrepreneurs. Um, we a lot of times knock down doors by uh, character. You know what I'm saying? And yep, I, I know even for huge. myself, that's how I was able to obtain an SBA loan. You know, they straight up told me it's not because of the collateral. Um, it's because of the character and we mm -hmm. believe that you're going to be able to do what you're saying you're going to do and you're already doing it without the help. So with some help, we know that you can continue, you know, to grow. And so, I mean, I think that that is something that's very real for us that, you know, mm -hmm. that, that character piece, but that character can only take you so far. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You have to have the skill, right? Right. Uh, right. Right. <laughs> you have to have the skill, but the skill I mean, and the information, you know, just like what you're sharing and what you guys do, um, you know, at Impact Ventures, as far as creating that ecosystem and, you know, mm -hmm. providing that infrastructure and the information that's vital to the, to the growth. It's a, it's a, it's a two-pronged strategy. You have like the entrepreneurs on the ground that are, that are working to um, do what they need to do necessary, but then investors have to take ownership of the ecosystem and say, you know what, um, there needs to be more black and brown and women investors, right, that understand the lived ex and shared experience of these entrepreneurs that don't see them with this bias that say, you know what, okay, they didn't go to Harvard. Um, he went to Washburn, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> but look what he's doing now. He's working with people that went to Harvard. He's, he's leading people, he, you know, people that right. went to these schools are working for him. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> those, are the, those are the intangibles that don't show up on a balance sheet um, right. that you can't read. And so we, we have to, it, it's, it's both problems, it's the ecosystem and it's, and it's on the ground in the, in the community. And I think if both of those can come together, which we're seeing a lot, I mean, there's a lot of, you know, black and brown um, investors popping up, VCs popping up. Um, you see a lot more diversity focused funds. Um, there needs to be more capital, you know? Um, there, there needs to be more capital. I like to say they need to keep the same en energy. You know, as, as much yeah. as, uh, you know, institutional racism has kept us out,
they need to have that same energy with undoing, you know, what was what was done, uh, whether that be through venture capital, or whether that be through um, public, you know, investment in terms of like redlining and things like that that happened to us because we know that land was a foundation of wealth building. Right, right. Land and home ownership um, was the foundation of, of, of uh, wealth building. And so um, we need to have that same energy in undoing these barriers and, and these social equities um, to see us in a better place where we feel like our economy is reflective of the world, you know, of diversity in our world. You know, that's our vision statement uh, to build an economy, uh, a more equitable, inclusive economy that's reflective of diversity in our world. Um, so that's 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 what we're looking to do. And um, I mean, I'm excited. It's it's exciting. It's an exciting time to be black and to be a business owner right now because we are. Well, I would say y'all are black women um, are the fastest growing um, yes. population of entrepreneurs uh, over the last <laughs> decade. So, yeah. I mean, I, I mean, working with y'all, y'all get it done. It's like I you know, a lot of the black women entrepreneurs that I mentor, you know, when I give them feedback like they execute and they come back and say okay I did this and I added this on it and then what do you think you know they come back with like all the things you know uh, it's, it's very historic and I mean you can go all the way back and looking at you know Madam CJ Walker is a really big you know it's she's buzzing right now and she ain't it's nothing new right but just looking at you know her entrepreneurial spirit and how much she has inspired so many you know and we can go on and on uh, then but um, I just yeah. thank you for what no, you're doing for me. Yeah, and, you know, fun. just being able to really be able to lean into your purpose and what you're doing, because you could have taken that finance background oh, yeah. and just sit up <laughs> in, you know, an office, get your check. I think about it all the time. <laughs> right. But instead, you've taken your finance background and your diverse experiences and put it into something that's so great and impacts so many more people than you ever would, you know what I mean? working uh right. you know in a different capacity so i yep. thank you for that and thank you for being on the show today and it. thank you all for listening and until next time love it thank you to the listeners for listening please uh definitely subscribe to our podcast if you have not subscribed already um definitely follow us on social media at SEG Media Collective. You can find all of our information there about not only about the podcast, but about our services. And until next time.